What's up, Z-Pack? It's your boy, Z-Dog MD. This is uh, Morning Rounds with Tom and Z. Apparently, we, we the place is full of fog because we were shooting a bunch of AMA episodes with a fancy camera, and Tom um, Tom farted, and now the place is fogged up. Fogged it up, yo. Yep. The key to making anything look dope is to just put a bunch of fog and then backlight it, and that's it. That's all you have to do. I spent four years and $80,000 at film school. Film to, school. To basically learn that. And you know what? Now I've learned it, so I feel like I have a film degree. Can I add that to my list of short list of degrees, mm. which, which are BA and MD? That's all you got? I'm going to add BSN, RSN, MSN, MSNBC, and DIC. You know what I want to talk about? Okay, so yesterday, uh, Z texted me, and he was like, hey, I don't want to come in. I don't want to do any work today because I'm fucking furious. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I just want to know what's going on, bro. I'll are tell you, you Are you on. good? I'll tell you what's going on. Are you good, my dog? There's several things. Okay. Okay. Apart from the usual stressors of life, I suspect that morning I was meditating mm-hmm. and I actually had a true experience of selflessness. In other words, the eye that sits behind your head that is imputed by your brain to be who you actually are. In other words, this little thinker that's pulling the strings. Um, disappeared. And all I was was the open awareness in which everything was arising moment to moment with nothing to cling to, nothing to stick to. And in that moment, I had a sense of real bliss. I was like, oh, this is, whoa. The next moment, my ego came roaring fucking back with like a vengeance. It was like, how dare you ignore me? Like, I am a person in your head that has feelings and things, and he's angry about stuff. And now he's gonna be more angry to get your attention. So for the rest of the day, I was just furious and pissed. And every you know perceived stressor I was ruminating on, and I'm yelling at my kids, and like my oppositional defiant daughter, I finally snapped and I was like, can you just for once do what I say the first time I say it? And you know why? Because it's the ego striving to control when it it senses its own potential annihilation through whatever practice. Like woke people like the Dalai Lama, they've already been through that. The, the, you know, the long dark night of the soul where their ego's like, wait, what? I'm not real? You're not real. And it comes out fighting. I think that's what it is. Either that or I'm just a dick. Well, I will, I will say some of your stressors are real. They're not imagined. Mm. You know, one thing I think I want to tell people about you, and I want, to, I want this to lead us into a a broader conversation about what you might do in this scenario is, and you talked about this a little bit behind the scenes on one of the supporter casts last night, but you know, you're always fending off attacks from, you know, and think about it. You're one of the only people in healthcare who stands up. You're one of the only like, you know, licensed practicing MDs in the country who's like, Hey, (laughs) you guys are being fucking idiots. This is real. This is not shut the fuck up. We're trying to save lives. Like let's move beyond it. And you call out, you you know you call out stuff in in the business of medicine, in the practice of medicine, in the uh, you know actual biological realities of medicine, and you you have to take a lot of arrows in the back for those. So I think some of these these stressors are real. Like for instance, you talked about it. You're always defending your license mm. when you have no reason to fucking defend your license. <laughs> like whereas people like Bob Sears are out there like prescribing uh murdering babies. Yeah. They're murdering babies. Straight up. Yeah. I mean, Bob Sears is directly responsible for the um the measles outbreak at Disneyland, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And he still has his license. And so every time a shitty anti-vaxxer writes a thing, you have to and it's like, you know, it's all pomp and circumstance, but you have to like actually be like, yeah. "All right, all right yeah. here's what happened. Here's the form letter. Some moron showed up here and threw poop at my window." 
I told him he was a moron. He said, how dare you murder babies? Why the fuck am I doing this, dear medical board? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, they're, 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 look, everybody has stress. I say frontline healthcare practitioners have a lot more stress than I have. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, we're, we have our days. Yesterday was one of my days. Now, I will, I'm going to congratulate myself for one thing. You guys were like, let's meet at 9.30. And I'm like, no, I think today's a bad day for me to be in the presence of other human beings. And whereas in the old days, I'd have been like, yeah, let's meet. And then the whole time, I just would have ranted and raved and been a dick. And so the nice thing is at least I, I don't have to live with the guilt of having been a dick when I didn't mean to be. However, uh, I need to figure out what it is in my head that triggers this rage. I kind of think that uh, mental health days should be real. You know, mm. you shouldn't have to lie about them. You shouldn't have to be like, <laughs> yeah, hey, I have the flu. I'm not coming in. When really it's just like, yeah, fuck everyone. Yeah. I'm not coming in. When, you know what? We all have those days, <laughs> right? Yeah, but the, and the way the way it's historically been dealt with is you show up and you're a dick to everyone. Yeah. And you probably burn 100%. a few br bridges and probably are worse off for it. And probably if you're taking care of patients, they're worse off for it. Of course, we don't have coverage. We don't have staffing. It's very hard to do. But, I, you know, I used to think mental health days were bullshit. And then I started thinking, you know, now I'm in a position where I can call my own mental health days, right? I'm, I'm, we run this thing together. It's like, ah, today's a bad day. You're not going to get good stuff out of me. Why are we? Let's not waste our time. Well, there's a, there's a big difference between you know you, you you have a mental health day once in a blue moon, or the person who's going to be like, okay, today is an extra critical day yeah, for exactly, me. Exactly, exactly. Uh, and it'd be like, yeah, Becky, I thought Tuesday was an extra critical day for you. It's like, <laughs> well, it's Wednesday now, and it's also an extra critical day for me. So I'm going to stay home. Okay. Uh, be like, am I going to see you on Thursday? I don't know. We'll see what my what my mood rock says. My mood ring. <laughs> Scarlet Woodward, who's a supporter, plus two. That's like some kind of Dungeons and Dragons thing, like, you know, Vorpal Blade plus two magical health healing. I want plus two. I only have plus one. Two? You have plus one? Yeah. Dude. Supporter plus How'd one. How'd you get plus one? Because I pay for the, being a supporter. But what about the plus one? I don't know. I think that just means I pay for one supporter. Subscribership? <laughs> I think it means like there's valued commenter, there's egregious commenter, there's uh, there should be a badge for dipshit anti-vaxxer that just yeah. shows up. You know, so Scarlett, um, who is a plus two supporter, says, "What about that baby that died after refusing vitamin K?" So I just heard about this. Another oh, I bleed heard about this and the baby too, yeah. Okay, so people wonder why I lose my shit and I'm I'm dick. I'm a dick on some of these shows, and we just shot a bunch of shows where I'll tell you, people are gonna be like, "Wow, that guy's a dick." Oh, we went hard. We went hard. Well, why? Because babies die. Adults die when stupidity is allowed to exist without shame. And, and it's a shameless stupidity. It's the all viewpoints are equal idea. It's just fucking horseshit. Yeah. You know, some viewpoints are less equal. They're not good, right? Like, look, look, if I strapped a bunch of explosives to myself and blew myself up in a Mormon church and said, oh, it's because I'm a Zoroastrian, like, that's not an okay belief structure. It's not equal to other belief structures. Well, I think you'd be in a mosque and you'd be Islamic Z. I don't know why How you dare shifted you stereotype, those details. Stereotype <laughs> our brown and, and off-white brothers and sisters like myself. Uh, in a different world, Tom, I would have been Muslim because I'm ancient Persian. Just so happens I got the hell out of Dodge before the Islamic takeover. Yeah, before the caliphate. I might have been kicked out. <laughs> uh, so let's read some comments here. Rachel Mercatino, also different when you have a clinic full of patients to be seen. Hard to, Mark, An, Mark Antonio, sorry. Uh, hard to take mental health day if there are other people waiting for you to handle their med mental medical health. So Rachel, here's an interesting mm. thing. In my 10 years at Stanford as a practicing hospitalist, I never once took a day off or a sick day outside of my vacation. No, right. Why so would I you? would just save up my being sick for when I was ill, yeah. when I was on vacation. 
because you can't. Who's going to cover for you? Yeah. Nobody. You're yeah. the only person rounding. You know, in in some ways, it's a sort of a a mark of credibility, which is like you're the person who can't take right. off sick because you're so necessary. You're so competent. You have to be there. Um, but yeah. at the same time, you have to ask yourself, especially in a hospital system, why aren't there other highly trained, competent people who could fill in for me? It's a strange ego gratification to know that no one can cover you. Yeah. And yet it's debilitating. Right. So, you know, and my dad had this as a practicing private doctor in California. No one, I mean, finding coverage was an ordeal. That's why we never went on vacations. If we did, it was like, a couple days we go to Monterey or mm -hmm. something and I we look around. It would be like the fucking Griswold vacation, like, oh look the Grand Canyon. Ha ha ha. All right. I'm being paged. It'd be like, oh, you know, you haven't been to the backyard in a while. I mean, <laughs> that's kind of like a whole new area for you. Did you see that orange tree? Three trees behind the other orange tree? I bet you haven't checked it I out. I bet you haven't been. <laughs> Have you built a fort around it? That's yeah, that's that was our vacation. And, and both and both my parents were like that. So it's not a very stable it's you know, and I think it creates stress that then is taken out on family eventually. I, all right, here's the thing I'm curious about though, what we were talking about earlier. I am very curious what unhinged Z would look like because you know you still have the veneer of respectability of being a doctor so you have to hold back sometimes and I know you behind the scenes that Z Z is 100% more unhinged behind the scenes than you guys get to see him you know and that if and that if there ever was a direct threat to his license or to his livelihood or anything he would go full nuclear warpath on whoever was in his way and it would be the most beautiful spectacular burnout you've ever seen anyone have you know it yeah. would it would be it would be like something out of greek mythology you know like icarus f flying too close to the stool <laughs> <laughs> and just just exploding in a in a in a in an explosion of feces. And I think I speak for everybody when I say we all kind of want to see it. <laughs> well, that's why supporters, I think supporters get in a little extra glimpse because I'll lose my shit on the supporter show maybe once a week. I'll just be like, okay, fuck it, fuck it, and I'll say shit that I know would just you can't say. Like I ranted about an insurance company the other day. We just did an AMA where we didn't. We're gonna bleep out the name of this insurance company, but like for supporters, I was like, listen. Fuck this particular company. Yeah. Um, because they personally hurt me. They personally hurt a turntable. They personally hurt friends of mine. They personally have hurt patients that I know. And you get a sense of moral obligation to say, fuck you. And you can't because you're scared of them. Yeah. You know? That's how I think how most of us are. I'm trying to be less scared because, but then I have to pay the price for that, which is okay. It's actually okay. You know, I just, I don't know, man. I, I'm also a little oppositional, right? like my daughter. I mean, she got that from me. I, you know, if people are like, you can't do this, and I'll be like, fuck you, I'm going to do it. Or, you know, we're going to take your, you know, privileges away at the hospital. Fuck it, take it away. I don't need your fucking hospital. Go suck all the fucking dicks. And then you're like, oh shit, I just said suck all the dicks to the CEO of the fucking only hospital in town. It's like, well, okay, now I done fucked up. So you have to have a frontal lobe. And see, this is the thing. Healthcare people have this hyper-developed inhibitory system. We're really good at putting, right. the, putting the brakes on. And the few times where I've lost it in the hospital have been very rare and regrettable, like truly yeah, regrettable. It's interesting. Yeah. Don't you think a lot of people go into you know being a physician because they're kind of risk intolerant? Definitely. Yeah. Hundred percent. Risk averse. Seen as a very safe path where you can make a lot of money and you know you'll, yeah. you'll be okay and you know all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas if you go into business, they're they're you know, there's a lot more risk. Yeah, if you're, you're an entrepreneur, expected to take risk. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. So yesterday, in the in the in the bottom of my like wallowing in anger, 
my buddy Diego called me up. He never calls. He, we were med school best friends, still our best friends. We never see each other because we're busy. He's a radiologist. He's been in a few of the videos. He's been in the confrontation. He was the psych guy. Oh, right, right. The, and he goes, there is a castle on a cloud. He called me up and he's like, what's up, man? Let's talk shit. We haven't talked shit in forever. And we were just reminiscing because our 20th anniversary at UCSF is coming up. And we were talking about every single fucking person in our class that we could remember and what an incredible dipshit they were, and <laughs> how, how, how much fun it was to see what they're doing now and what's going on. And, and it was interesting because, yeah, we are. We're a bunch of kind of risk intolerant weirdos that are a little bit off the bell curve. And, and now we're in this system that just creates just constant moral injury for us. And, and either, we, either we lash out or we you know, get burned out, which is moral injury, exhausted, low productivity, low self-worth, mm-hmm. or we do something crazy. Are you excited to move back to the Bay, which is a place that is inhibitory of speech? <laughs> you know, I wonder about this, actually. That's interesting. I never thought about it being inhibitory of speech. Oh, I, 100%. <gasps> you know what? So you're, much group thing I there. think you're right, actually. Can I tell you the dumbest thing somebody said to me one time when I was in the Bay Area? This woman who worked at a large biotech company told me, she goes, you know, we don't, sorry, I'm not going to do the voice, but she had the voice. <laughs> and uh, she goes, we don't call them um, moonshots because it takes the human element out of them. So we call them one giant leap because that puts the human back in the driver's seat of the moonshot. And I was like, what you just said is 40 layers of abstraction uh, into the deepest swill of dark liberal groupthink I've ever seen or heard in my entire life, and I, I wish you would take it all back. <laughs> I actually think I think what it is the Bay Area is a bit of a victim of its own success. You've managed to take a beautiful area of the country with great weather, very smart people, lots of uh, trained, highly skilled people, and then put them, pack them really tightly where you can't really build more. Yeah. And then what they have to do is each of them has to prove their worth. So they end up coming right. up with weird shit. Somebody said, uh, we should start a, a GoFundMe so that uh, Tom and Logan can move up there with you. And I was like, oh, <laughs> that'd be great. Here's what here's what you guys can do. You can start a GoFundMe to raise $2.5 million yeah. so I can move into a house that's 500 square yeah. feet smaller than my current yeah, house. Yeah. yeah. Right now we're remodeling our house up there and it's so, talk about stress. It's so fucking painful. So why are you going back? Why are you leaving me, dog? I don't know, man. <laughs> it's a terrible idea. Now, I'll tell you, we, we agonized over this, right? I mean, this was one of those things where every summer I go back there, and I, I, I realized that the show was at a point where we're in a very isolated location. We don't have a lot of skilled labor here. There's not a lot of medical stuff going on in Vegas. Everything else is amazing. Except for you two, I have zero friends in this town. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. I have no... And this is honest. Like... You two, I hang out with every day, and I love it. I enjoy it. It really brings me joy. Um, there's nobody else. Nobody in my age group. Nobody with... Ch- I mean, you guys have children, but they're young. And there's nobody who's a physician that I hang out with here. And it's been seven years. And my wife has a few friends, but not really. Our social networks are back there. So in order to have long-term stability, happiness, and growth of the of the show and that kind of thing, I think we had to make that decision and it was hard to make and we're still working with the ramifications of it, but that's why. And I think uh, the question is, how do we continue to grow what we're doing and not become fucking losers? Because if you go and you just adopt the Bay Area mindset of, you know, again, the same thing, like you can't say this, you have to be politically inhibitory, the show will die because what we do that's special is what we do. And honestly, you two have brought that element because if it were just me, I'd still be pretty risk averse. So you've un, un, disinhibited part of me that needed to be disinhibited. Now, sometimes it goes too far and I, I regret it. 
<laughs> but it's rare. That's actually rare. Um, yeah, like, you know, I can't think of a good time when actually I really, truly regret it. No, no, actually, fuck all of it. I'm always pushing Z to say the real shit, and I'm always just like, say it. Say yeah, it. Yeah. You hate that person behind camera? Say it on camera. Say it. Say you hate them. Mm. Say it. And you know, the, Tell people why. I'm always coming back with Tom with my rider, right? Yeah. Tom's elephant's like, listen to your elephant. And I'm like, okay, these are the 12 reasons, Tom, that we can't say that. Okay? Well, I, don't, I don't think like a year and a half ago you would have called Bob Sears a calm fucking psychopath. Like, yeah. Like you did so explicitly <laughs> in, that, in that video. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and again, it's just opinion. Yeah. Right. It's just my opinion. And, and I'm in a way and I'm an editorialist. Mm -hmm. and, and the thing is, look, uh, yeah, fuck, you know, I don't know. It's interesting. By the way. So here's one thing. When you're in that state of mind, you're that pissed off state of mind. Don't make important life decisions. Don't hit send on emails. Put them in your draft box. So I wrote probably four emails yesterday that I've been meaning to write for a while that were really pissed off. And just the sense of feeling wronged by whoever, you know, whether it's a, a you know, an advertising partner or something like this. And I write the email and then I'm like, it's just, it's how I feel at that moment. Put it in the draft box, look at it today. And I'm like, man, I'm glad I didn't send that email because that was my sub mind that's responsible for defending, you know, the sense of justice and I've been wronged and it's not really accurate. Right. So you have to, if you send the email, you will have either regret or you'll double down. You'll be like, well, now that I sent it, it has to be true. And therefore, that's why Brene Brown's shitty first draft thing is very, very powerful. Don't act on your shitty first draft. This is one of the, I think, the <laughs> core problems of life, which is just, you have to listen to your feelings and emotions. You can't fully discount them. Right. Because then you'll be, um, you know, just disconnected from yourself and you're not gonna be living authentically to yourself, which is like a cliche that everybody says, but it's true and it's therapy talk. But it's true. Yeah. And so you have to do it because for a long time, I was the kind of person who was just like, emotions are for the weak. Mm. We do things for profit or we do things for science or we do them for whatever, right? Writer. And uh, now I'm like, okay, I'm trying to listen to my emotions. But you know, a lot of the time your emotion is like, hey, eat a pack of Oreos. Yeah. That'll taste great. And you're like, okay, this is self-love. I'm going to eat these Oreos. Right. But that's, you're not supposed to listen to the bad part. You're supposed to listen to your higher self. Right. What's underneath all of it? What's driving all of it? And sometimes that thing is so obfuscated that oh. it's so hard to get everything in alignment so that you're you're going in the same direction. This and this is okay, this is worth talking about more because the 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 Disney mentality of listen to your heart, all right? Listen to your elephant, listen to your unconscious. Your unconscious is a series of conflicting sub-minds, right. all of which are trying to run the show in, for the benefit of you. So mm -hmm. they think they're all doing the right thing. They're unconscious, and they're serving up stuff into your awareness, going, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. Every decision you make is not your decision. There's yeah. no I. It's a, a consensus among sub-minds. Yeah. When there's conflict, you feel it. You go, I don't know what the best answer is. These subminds are arguing. That's the angel and the devil. Angel your, and devil. On your shoulder. Those yeah. are metaphorical. And the reason they're on your shoulders because it literally feels like you're ping ponging back and forth between your subminds. You know? Exactly. So when you say listen to emotions, yes, that's important. I think what it is is a better way to, to even think about that is appreciate emotions for what they are. How do they make you feel physically? Right. What are they? Where are they coming from? And then instead of just reflexively acting on them, now you have a metacognition. You have an awareness of being aware. And you go, oh, like yesterday, I knew, I knew very clearly that everything I was feeling was absolutely at heart a manifestation of some other problem that wasn't what I thought it was. Yeah. And so if I if I acted on anything, it would have been to the detriment of the betterment of conscious entities. Like it would have been a bad idea. 
people would have suffered for no reason. It takes a long time to uh, start figuring this out and getting uh, practice at controlling it. Right. You know, because like when you're eight, you can't control it at all. No, it's no, just no. like, I'm angry. Here's why everybody sucks. And I'm blah, blah, blah. Right. Exactly. And then when you're uh, 22, it's you're the same eight year old emotionally, but you have all these complex defense mechanisms right. and you're even better at deploying them. Right. So you, you still react in the exact same way, but it's now suddenly the consequences ripple out because you're not just a small entity anymore. You can actually do damage and cause harm. Right. And then you have to start feeling the repercussions of that. And that's usually the moment where introspection kicks in and people are like, OK, I'm going to dial this back. I need to maintain some control of myself. And you spend three, four years in vain trying to do it until your frontal lobe cools and then you're actually able to gain some control over yourself. What if this, what if, um, you know, as we unfold as humans, okay, so think of it this way. I'll start quickly from first principles. If, if human beings are really, really dynamic, open systems of a bunch of processes operating parallel, serving up stuff to the awareness that we have, and then making decisions based on consensus of these subminds. Over time, initially, the subminds that dominate are not inhibited by much, and so you you act impulsively, et cetera. Because we're dynamic systems that interact with other dynamic systems, think of us as like these neuronal storm systems, like big weather patterns mm -hmm. that are influenced by other weather. So when yeah, you have yeah. a polar vortex, you have this yeah. high pressure system. So over our 20s, what happens is these other pressure systems start to interact with us, and our frontal lobe is really just a symbol we use to show the evolution of inhibitory patterns that happen when we realize we can hurt other people, we can hurt ourselves with our impulses, and maybe we should have a space where we don't act automatically and we reconfigure those subminds. It's an interesting metaphor because it's like the first time you encounter a, you know, a warm front, a tropical front, right? Uh, you go full Hurricane yeah, Z, you at, Hurricane 20, Z. At 22 years old. And then, you know, maybe your version of it yesterday was, you know, you're the hurricane that veers off at the last moment and misses the island. You know what I mean? You let it build up and you let the pressure build, but then you dissipate it as well. Oh, that's an interesting metaphor. It kind of feels like that. Yeah. You feel, it's funny because you start calm, like in the eye. Like when I was meditating, I, I was as selfless as I've been in a long time. I had that insight that Sam Harris talks about in his app where you're like, that little person behind your eyes is gone. It's just, everything's arising and there's nothing to grasp or avert or worry about. It's just the present moment. And then the walls of the hurricane start to, and those are your other minds that are like, that's not how, that's not how we want it to work. We want right. you to know that I, my, this part of your mind is designed to worry about the cost of your remodel. This part of your mind is designed to feel injustice if you think you know, a, a sponsor's treating you badly. This part of your mind is designed to get outraged when people don't vaccinate. And, and they start being heard. And if you have a little meta-awareness, you can go, oh, that, that's what's happening. And you don't get lost in the sauce. For a minute yesterday, I think I was lost in it, but I think more often I was watching it swirl and letting it swirl. Yeah. And and that's why when you guys texted me, I was like, if I'm going to let this swirl, I don't want people that I actually care about to be sucked into this vortex because I already let my daughter get sucked into it. And it was a bad thing. Like, I, I she's not getting ready. She's not getting ready. She's not getting ready. And this is what triggered it. I dropped like a, um, I had a really nice mug that I drank, you know, in the morning out of coffee. And I like my youngest daughter turned on this light that I hate it when she does it. She always walks in and turns on this huge fluorescent light in our kitchen that I hate. Like there's something about it, the refresh rate that just triggers something. And I got discombobulated and I was doing something and I knocked it over and it shattered. There's pieces of glass everywhere and all this. And um, then the next thing is 
at this point now, my submines are like, they're firing on all cylinders. Like, okay, shit's, this is DEFCON 1. Like your brain is in turmoil. And it's all stupid, right? Then oppositional defiant daughter, who I know is oppositional defiant, but I'm used to it, comes in and everything I tell her, okay, get your stuff in the car, do this, do this, do this. And I see her just sitting there fiddling around. And finally I got in her face and I was like, you need to do what we ask you to do the first fucking time, right? I didn't say fucking, but I almost did. And you know, it's every day is a fucking struggle, this and this and this, just it's hurricane wind in her face. You can see the hair blowing back. Yeah. And you see the eyes just getting wide. And uh, you see my wife in the corner going, oh, he's finally snapped, right? And just in her face for a good 30 seconds, she gets in the car looking away the whole time. The whole day I'm like, what the fuck did I do that for? Like, what good is gonna come of that? Like, I felt better for a second. It's not gonna make anything better. And what I do is I let the hurricane take over. I let that draft go on exactly the wrong person because she was in the path of the hurricane. So later, of course, I you know undid that when she came home. But it was hard because you have these defenses. It's like, well, wait, she is pretty oppositional. Like, yeah. she, if, if someone doesn't approach her about her behavior, the rest of the world's not gonna be as nice as me. So you struggle with that, but at the same time, you're like, come here, come here, come here, you know? And then you feel better. But so that's the thing. I try now to be a little more aware. It's like, why should people get sucked into this? It's not about them, it's about me. It's important. I mean, I think you should try and, you know, I got this framework from Jeff Bezos, um, called, you know, called regret minimization. Is it about how to send dick pics? <laughs> well, that's this is what the point I'm getting to. It's like, you know, Jeff Bezos uh, wants to think about every decision he makes as you're 80 years old and you're on the rocking chair um, do you feel proud or do you feel regretful about this decision you made? And I'm like, well, that's a great framework. Everybody should be using that. Mm. And then he goes and cheats on his wife. And it's like, how does that fit into regret minimization? You know, mm. it, it doesn't. And so I think sometimes people can follow these even bigger, you know, there, there are small neuronal storms. Like when mm. somebody, you go to McDonald's and they tell you McNugget sauce is 10 cents extra and you're like, just give it to, I don't give a shit. Why are you even talking to me? Right? Yeah, 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 it's a, yeah. It's 10 cents, just add it. Put it on. I don't care. Make it that Szechuan sauce. And so that's a little one, and then there's like bigger ones that are can, can be false, but you can follow them because they're they're so strong emotionally. I mean, right, right, right. Like the desire to cheat is, is very strong in men mm. pretty much forever, I think. I mean, I'm not as old as you are, but... I still have a heavy desire to cheat because it's biological, uh -huh. but I don't cheat because of regret minimization. Huh. And I don't want to, like you said, like I wouldn't want to inflict any pain and suffering on my yeah, family. Yeah. yeah. You, know? You, you know, essentially that thing about cheating is interesting because when I was younger, it's all you think about, and not, not in terms of marriage so much, but just you're always... Yeah, hypersexualized and the testosterone levels. It's your drive. It's yeah. your drive, and and except for Logan, who's got low T. He's got low T. <laughs> Logan says he has high T. <laughs> high T or high fee. I've been peeped that you like me, um, but you know what I've noticed is as I get older, that that is vastly supplanted by the inhibitory pathway of that would be the worst thing you could ever do to your family, and that and I think it is. It's this unfolding of he calls it regret minimization. I think what it is is you start to realize that you can actually choose choices that create less suffering. Yeah, and that becomes more primary as a goal. It's interesting too because you can sometimes choose these choices uh, when you're not ready for them, and then you can step into them later. Oh, that's true. Yeah. So for for you know example, I don't know that I was necessarily ready to get married when I got married. But I thought to myself, 
about my wife, I was like, holy shit, like this girl is amazing. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if I'm going to find another girl like this. And Mm -hmm. so if I, I could spend three or four more, five more, six more, 10 more years, 20 more years fucking around and then settle down finally when I feel like I've, you know, attained something. Or I was like, I can view this as aspirational and lead it, you know, let it lead me to be a better man, a better person. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I finally just now I'm starting to feel like I've earned my wife. Leaned that, into it, yeah. That, that before it was like I, I maybe wasn't deserving because I, I still had not fully uh, actualized, mm. you know? That's interesting. So you're kind of, you're leaning into something that maybe you're not, your mind isn't really ready for yet. And, you know, listen, again, this isn't, there's no you here. This is a storm of right. shit that happens. And I think where we become responsible agents is where in this conscious space where we're aware of this stuff, we have a potential to act differently. Yeah. It's it's not free will, it's free won't. Yes. Yeah, it's free won't. It's yeah. like, listen, subminds are giving us information and they want us to act a certain way, but we can override. That's what makes us uniquely agents of our own destiny. Even if we're victims of all kinds of shit beyond our control, and we things, still are agents. Yeah, and things change as you go along. Like, you know, I. Uh, I got a motorcycle recently mm. and mm. I'm, I'm almost 30. I'll be 30 in like a few, like a week. Yeah. It's and, coming up. uh, 30 year old Tom Heineber riding a motorcycle is very like, I've had this motorcycle now for a week and a half. I've only put 30 miles on it, which like 22 year old Tom Heineber would already put 500 miles on this right, thing. Right, right. And I would have driven it way too fast. I would have already hit a hundred miles an hour and I would, right. you know, 30-year-old Tom Heinemann is like, well, you know, I've done a nice stroll around the neighborhood. I think I'll go park it back in the garage, you know. Maybe I'm at the edge of my riding limits today, Z. And I actually, I watched the instructional video. They made me watch the pass the license test. I was like, it has some good points. I should pay attention. (laughs) Man, you know, it's funny because this is what they talk about in the hood. Like people outgrow a lot of criminal activity, a lot of impulsive activity. And I uh, think that's it, interesting, but sometimes yeah. you don't get to outgrow it because you're dead. Because you're dead. Yeah. That's right. Uh, but the people who do actually tend to do pretty well. Yeah, it's so funny, man. When I was in high school, I, th- I kind of firmly believed, like I knew it didn't, but I kind of firmly believed that life ended after high school. Mm. That I was in this like really weird micro, uh, just like the whole thing was this weird bubble. Mm-hmm. And, High school's like that. Yeah, and I couldn't imagine it ending. And now I look back, it's been like, you know, 14... 13, 14 years since I was in high school. I don't give a shit about any it's of those people. Dumbest shit. <laughs> yeah, it's like, the stuff I cared about, I don't care. The people I was friends with, I'm not friends with for the most part. This is, and this is the other thing. These storms are not, there's no one thing that we are. We're not, you're not the same thing at all that you were in high school. You may have some karmic pattern. I, right. I use the word karma in a scientific sense. In other words, causes and conditions that were set in motion at the time you were born. Oh no, this is interesting. Do you believe in karma? I believe in karma like this. Karma is simply a woo-woo way of saying all the conditioning of our elephant and our subminds happens due to causes and conditions that are partially in our control and partially not. So when you're born, a series of events is, is starts to unfold and it has a weight and a and a and a direction that can be altered by different things. So if you make a really bad decision, that's gonna alter the trajectory of your life and generate more momentum, more intention in a certain direction for better or for worse. Yeah. That's karma. It's not something metaphysical. It's it's actually causes and conditions. No, it's it's real. Uh, I agree. I agree generally with your assessment. I think I think a lot of times that if you did something that you feel morally uh, bad about, you know, you're gonna do something subconsciously to trip yourself up, and that's 
that's your karma. Right, right. Like I used to not care about littering. I just didn't care. Hmm. I like viewed concrete as litter. So I'd litter <laughs> on top of litter. And I was like, ah, whatever. It's a we already marked up the earth with our concrete. It's a very like stupid, justif- you know, right, I was trying right. to justify it as a 17 year old who would throw bags of fast food out of his car. Oh. And I didn't feel bad. And I felt like I got no karmic repercussions for it. Right. Eventually I started to feel bad about this behavior. Mm-hmm. And so I stopped doing it because mm-hmm. I noticed that when I would do it, I'd find subtle ways to kind of mess myself up. And uh-huh. that was that was karma, self-inflicted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, you know? you know, on an unconscious level, these minds are constantly processing. And when you do so, so this is the thing, but this is the thing. We can change the unconscious processing through yes. conscious activity. So I'll That's kind of what I was saying about stepping into like an a, um, aspirational type yeah. of relationship or something along those lines. I think that's is right. Is you're changing the conditioning. Yeah. That's right. You're reconditioning subminds. Yeah. And, and, and here's the thing. That's what meditation is. Meditation right. is training subminds to become unified around a particular... Puts you back to like a null point. A null point. So yeah. if you're just... So the idea that there's nothing magical about focusing on the breath except... What it does is through training, you get every submind that's trying to feed you distraction, feed you worry, feed you anxiety, starts to focus on one thing, which is breath. Once it does that, there's a calm and a quiet and a bliss that arises that then allows you to see more clearly. Remember in the early days of uh, the show, we had an EMT show up and he was like, talk, he was like, yeah, you know, I'll be like, I'll, Josh. Talk, I'll talk to the other EMTs and, you know, they'll be like, oh yeah, but he's into like meditation stuff. I'll be like, oh, but it's not like gay, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's very, it's the perceptual bias against meditation is is earned because people yeah. who talk about meditation like Deepak Chopra come off as total tool bags. I'll tell you this, uh, as I've gotten older and uh, I, I use meditation in like, my, I microdose meditation right, right, because right. to me meditation is like, it's like take hand off stove. It's like you'll be at the supermarket and somebody be pissing off, pissing you off in front of them. And so you just, you know. Two seconds, meditate it, and you just be like, hmm, what am I doing? I'm angry about this chick. Why? Because I'm in a rush. Why am I in a rush? Because of this, because of that, because of this. Let's go back to just the breath. Okay. Yeah. Anger's yeah. over here now. It's yeah. not consuming me. It's it's next to me, and I can let it dissipate. Sam Harris's Waking Up app trains you to do this. Yeah. So he says- Because I do that much more than I do sit for an hour and oh, meditate. Oh, right. And you know what? That's you know? fine. The thing is, the thing about the sitting is it gets you more conditioned. In the habit, yeah. yeah. In the so habit. that then you can deploy that. Right. And so the way you deploy it, Harris talks about it in his app, but it's, it's quite simple. You suddenly go, okay, there's a shit storm going on. I'm identified with all this anger and thoughts and I'm going to say something stupid. What's really going on? Oh, I feel sensations in my body. I feel the breath. I'm present in this thing. This guy is yelling at me. Uh... And you realize the self starts to drop away. There's nothing to be angry. And you can never be angry a second longer than you actually force yourself to be angry. Like the anger arises and it dissipates like everything else. It's all very transient. So yeah. once you, you, it just takes 10 seconds and you can recenter. You can get out of this loop. Now I tried to do that yesterday and I found that the storm was too strong. It kept sucking me back. I would have these moments of clarity and then feel this, you know, uh, storm pulling you back, and you know, in 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 meditation, they, they, they you know they call it the five uh, obstacles to meditation. It's like desire, aversion. That's easy. I want this. I'm hungry. I don't want this. It's terrible. I hate this person. Whatever. Uh, doubt, which is why am I even doing this? Why do I do anything? Like it's not working. I'm just not going to do it. Laziness, lethargy, which is like I need to conserve energy. That's not worth my time, and I'm just not going to do it. And uh, worry and regret. 
which is just the brain spinning future and past. If you actually start to appreciate when those things are happening, you can use your own little cognitive behavioral therapy on yourself and go, oh, that's desire. There's worry and regret. <laughs> like This is doubt. Oh, what are we gonna do with this show when I move to the Bay Area? How are we gonna keep it working? Maybe it won't work. That's doubt. What it ought to be is, oh my gosh, how lucky are we to get to do this show that we all really enjoy doing? People actually watch it, it's making a difference in the world. We get thousands of positive messages for every one fuck you, you're a loser, why'd you talk about this message that I will focus on because we have a negativity filter, right? And then that's a version. So it, it's, it, these are improvable things and it's a worthwhile endeavor to work on improving. Yeah, yeah. oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, anybody who is, uh, if you're the same as you were, you know, like let's say you're the same at 60 as you were at 30, you, you wasted 30 years you wasted of your 30 life. years, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Yeah. You know, but it is, it can be very hard because like I do this when I'm in therapy, I get it. Like I'm high IQ. I understand where my defense mechanisms are, where my patterns are. I get it. I really do. I can intellectualize all of them. We could have a full conversation about it. I can throw around all the therapy terms, right? <laughs> but I can't let go. Yeah. Because there's something deep inside me that is either afraid or I get secondary gain yeah. uh, from these mechanisms I've put in place. Oh, that's interesting. I think you know? you're spot on. I'm the same way. Yeah. I mean, and again, I'm not in therapy because I'm not that advanced. I try to do self-therapy through these kind of processes. And what is interesting is when you have an insight in meditation, because there is a part of meditation where you silence the brain and then all the unconscious bubbles up, and your goal there is to just recognize it and see what's up. Yeah. Oh man, I've seen shit where I'm like, God damn it, no wonder. No wonder, but then the action item of changing who you are, reprogramming the subminds, that yeah. that's a tricky part. Well, us us millennials, bro, we're hella destigmatized about therapy. We're just like, yeah, whatever. I go to therapy, bro. You don't go to therapy. <laughs> uh, that's good. That's great. That's the, one thing I gotta say. The only yeah. reason I go to therapy is because of my daughter. Because there are these, you know, there's like this talk about neuronal storms or whatever it is, cycle of neglect, cycle of abuse. There's something that's been precipitating through my family tree since time immemorial. Karma. Right. Yeah, yeah. whatever it is. Causes and conditions. And yeah. uh, I can feel it attached to me. Mm. And I am I know I'm going to press it down upon her unless I take action to be the only person in my family lineage who ever stopped these patterns of neglect. You know, uh, Eckhart Tolle calls that the pain body. Have you ever heard this term? Mm -mm. So, you know, he's written a bunch of books, Power of Now, all this stuff, and he's a little woo-woo, but at the same time, he's always correct. <laughs> he's like spot on. So the pain body is the accumulated unconscious psychic debris that really is, it's, it is passed on because yeah. it's passed on behaviorally, it's passed on genetically, it's your unconscious mind. And it is a body of dark material that you, that influences everything you do consciously if you don't start to look at it. So the way you look at it is you shine conscious light on it, you make it conscious and you go, that's what it is. And then you realize, oh, is it secondary gain? Is it fear? What is it that's causing me to perpetuate this? You know, like when I'm yelling at my kid, what that is, is that's my sense of having to be in control. Yeah. Because what's happening, she's sabotaging my ability to control her. I want her in the car. She doesn't want to be in the car. But then deeper inside is this idea that I'm worried that she's going to grow up to be someone who doesn't play well with others. Well, then how do I deal with that? That's fear. I need to 
attack this now before it gets out of hand. So there's all this, it's very complicated. It's never a simple answer. Well, and so you could call it something uh, cosmic, like the pain body, or you could just call it shame. Which <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just shame. Shame is a big component of the pain body. Shame yeah. is I'm bad. Right, me, right, right. me, right. Whereas guilt is, I did something bad. So a lot of times, actually, on the show, when we talk about shame and how we want to bring shame back to society, what we actually want to bring back is guilt. Guilt, because yeah. guilt is actually sort of a worthwhile emotion. People always debate this, and they say it's not. I think shame is the is the not worthwhile emotion yeah. because sh- I am bad. Shame is unchangeable, right? Um, and shame is something you need to shine a light on. Guilt is I have done bad. I yeah. have done wrong. Guilt is the the core of you know, the Judeo-Christian ethic. Of, right, because you want to you write can, it. You can reach salvation. Ex- ex- yeah. By writing your guilt. But yes. you can't reach salvation if you are just a piece of garbage. Yeah, no, that's a good and, point. And, you know, that's how you view yourself. Maybe we should change my language on that, because I'll often say we ought to be shaming anti-vaxxers. Really, we ought guilting to be them. guilting them. Yeah. They should feel guilty about yeah, this yeah. and then change how they how they behave. It, uh, relating to that, you had said something, shame, shame. Oh, so... In the sub-mind model of how the mind works, you have this open boardroom of the conscious awareness where all these minds are projecting slides, PowerPoint slides for you right. to look at. Well, it turns out you can have an auditory sub-mind giving you a sound, you can have a visual sub-mind, like I see this little thing and I see, you know, what I see right now is I see a water bottle that's probably not environmentally conscious and I've drank half of it and I'm thirsty. Okay, what is the, res- how is that coming into my awareness? I'm seeing, the visual mind is feeding me blues and shades and shadows. And then the discriminating thinking mind is going concepts, water, bottle, environment. And then the narrating mind, which is a part of the mind that takes this raw input and actually coalesces it into episodic stories or binding moments of consciousness, goes, I am holding water. And it imputes an I, a self to this story. And then the discriminating mind looks at that and goes, yeah, the I is real, it's an actual thing, I, Mm. me. So shame is this I is is a bad thing. As opposed to what's really happening, which is processes are just arising in your awareness and your complex system. A lot of it is just happening and you are just witnessing it. There's no real I to be shameful, but we do have control over how the system behaves to some degree. It's interesting, uh, and I think humans have always used uh, set and setting to try and game that response, right? So like, you know, um, you ever you ever been in the ocean after a really long time of not being in the ocean? Yeah. And it feels kind of like a weird rebirth. There's really something there in your genetics um, and then in your, you know, perceptual environment that makes it feel like you're you're like a baby turtle coming out of the you yeah, know, yeah, out yeah. of the sand and like yeah. it just feels cleansing right mm-hmm. and like you see this cross religious uh, rituals like bathing in the ganges right, right, right? right or right. you know all the areas or environments that human beings choose to meet up with each other for different activities uh, all sort of have the same perceptual what's coloring of of the event the way you could think about that is um Normally, if you jump into a pool of water, yeah. your sensory sub-minds overwhelm you with stimulus all of a sudden. They're feeding into consciousness this, your whole body is just cold and hot and wet and tingly. And, uh, and very quickly, the discriminating mind and the narrating mind tells you a story. I'm in water, chill, mm. and the clamp comes down on the sensation. When you first go back into an ocean or something after a long period of time, that 
delay between the inhibition is longer and you just feel this raw data. Yeah. And it is, it's like being a baby because babies don't have the inhibitory pathway. So you're suddenly just awake with sensation. That's honestly, that there's something in meditation called the acquired appearance of the breath. So normally you're feeling the breath and you have concepts every time you, you in breath, you're like, I'm breathing in through a nose that's located here, it's yeah. air. After about stage six of meditation out of 10, you get something called the acquired appearance of the breath, which is the raw sensory data. So all you feel is a delocalized tingling that's rhythmic, and that's the breath. And that's an advanced state because what you've done is you've stripped away concepts and you're focusing on one submind's input, which is sensory submind, and it's purifying. You go, oh, yeah. most of what I'm doing is applying concepts to things that are really fresh and new in every moment. So it, it, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. It's a way to sort of like force uh, the divine on somebody who maybe doesn't have a practice. Like that's what baptism is. You like yeah, take somebody ah, and fucking dunk them, right? A baptism, of yeah. course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because that's how they used to do it back in the day. It wasn't like in a ceremonial trough. You just go out into a body of water and you know John the Baptist whoever would just dunk you under and yeah. then, you know is the whole thing. You know, could so, you imagine if John the Baptist were French and it was Jacques the Baptist? Jacques the Baptist so lame. Jacques Baptiste. <laughs> <laughs> Jacques Baptiste. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, it's it's super interesting, man. And it you know, it's like for me at the point at the place I'm at in life, like I'm turning thirty in a few days. I used I thought I was gonna have this thing where I was like, oh, life is slipping through my hands, and all the people who are older than thirty be like, yeah, you're so young, Tom. I'm shut up. You don't know anything. But here's the deal. Um, I realized I just don't give a shit. You know, I used to think like, oh, I want a legacy, and I want to blah 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 blah. Right? Think about like, can you name me? Uh, you know, the richest person from a hundred years ago. You probably can. It was, it Rockefeller. was Rockefeller, yeah. right? Can you name me the richest person from 200 years ago? No. No. There's no legacy. Yeah. Like, nobody has a legacy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're all dust in 100 years. Yep. At most. So, who cares? Like, now I just want to spend time with my family mm -hmm. and do things that I find enjoyable, you know? God. You know, I just had this weird uh, thought. So, we are really... <laughs> we're, we're the product of like this winding up. So at birth, we're kind of this tightly wound spring that then is released in the world and starts to unwind and unfold. And in any second, it's just this, just the present moment unfolding in these myriad of ways that are influenced by all kinds of stuff. And there is no legacy because there's not, the, the legacy is your unfolding affects the unfolding of others and you give mm -hmm. birth in an unfolding that then it just constantly perpetuates the cycle that is beautiful and divine. But in reality, there's nothing to cling to. We don't have stuff, we don't have wealth, we have the moment at hand, relationships with people we care about, other dynamic systems that are unfolding. Yeah. And the meaning of it all is simply that. Isn't that interesting? That's why the people that we actually do prescribe some legacy to, um, they're people that unlock that yeah. un that unfolding for us. And it could be something like a Leonardo da Vinci who unlocks things through art and science, or it could be Paul McCartney who like, when you hear, let it be, it unlocks something in you that, you know, and, and you, there's something special about Paul cause he was the first one to, to hear that in his head. Right. You know, and uh, yeah, exactly. They He's the said... He was the first one to manifest that. And so we all want to kind of like 
poke and prod Paul and, you know, get close to him and be like, oh, you're special, you know, right? And, and if you're one of your values is, say, social advocacy, you might cite Martin Luther King as right. somebody who unlocked this. And Martin Luther King would cite Gandhi and would Gandhi, Gandhi would cite, Gandhi uh, would cite you know, uh, whoever, else. whoever else, right? Yeah. And, 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 and so it's interesting because this creation aspect of it, because both of us are subtype creator on the sparkotype, right. is an interesting thing because I think what it is is you're perturbing this present moment and, and causing different things to happen in the world. And that is, a, it's an immediate legacy. It's, it's, it's a, it's a present legacy mm-hmm. <laughs> where you're just, you know, where these vibrating things that are, and now it sounds really woo. So I'm just going to shut up. It gets really woo. Yeah, it gets woo. And you know, that's the problem is like, people will, will be like, it's all vibration, man. Oh, and it's yeah. like, Hey, you still need to vaccinate your child. <laughs> yeah. You know? Listen, Moonbeam, don't stop we... eating your placenta. See, here's the thing yeah. though, is like, I'm confused. Is like, how come we can sit here and have this conversation about, and basically get down to it's all vibration, which right, is the right. same thing. Which is the same thing they're saying. Yeah. Same thing they're saying, except we're like, hey, man, uh, vaccine's a vibration, too. Maybe put it in your body. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, man. I mean, it, it, in the in the truth, I think science, spirituality, and all this metaphysical stuff, they're all one they're all one unified. Doors to the same. Doors to the same yeah, thing. Yeah. And, uh, and that's why you cannot exclude one or the other. Right. You know, I think hardcore atheist scientists who, you know, I... I counted myself as one for a long time. Now I'm much softer on that. They're missing a part of the meaning. That's oh, totally. I was talking about this with my wife earlier. I was yeah. like, I was like, you know, I used to be so hardcore, like, I'm not going to go to church. I'll right, never right. step foot in another church again. Right, like, right, right. Catholic, good Catholic boy. And uh, now I'm like, ah, I'll probably go to church, see what they have to say. Yeah, yeah. Probably be stupid. Yeah. But it might be good. You never know. You never know. My daughter wanted to go to a Mormon church with one of her friends. Who you ever been Mormon. to Mormon church? I haven't. It's amazing, actually. Really? The Mormons are so nice. Really? You can see how you could easily be converted. Ah. I went to a Mormon funeral once. And uh, I went to Mormon church and I went to a Mormon funeral. And uh, man, it was like Mormon funeral so different than a Catholic funeral. Like mm. celebration of life. Uh-huh. Mormon, Catholic funeral is like some douchebag priest you never met is like, <laughs> the name of the Father, <laughs> Spirit. <laughs> I hate I hate Catholic priests, uh, but uh, yeah, I kind of enjoyed Mormon tabernacle no, yeah, to, or whatever to it's called. Encourage her to temple. Go. Where do yeah. they go? They go to the temple. I, I, temple, I think. And they wear their special underwear. You know? Hey, we Zoroastrians have special underwear too. Oh, do you? Yeah, yeah. They call it a, a sudra. It's a white undershirt. It looks like a wife beater, because you know we're Persian, and uh, and then there's this rope, this little string that you tie around your waist in this particular pattern. So you have it go around and then come here, you tie it in this knot here. Yeah. Then you tie it in a knot in the back. While you're saying this prayer, you're like, <laughs> I still remember the prayer from my bar mitzvah. Now, this was 11 years old when I officially became an atheist because I went through this whole thing. I met the priests. There was this beautiful chanting and I wore the thing to school. And uh, the the, the fucking back of it would poke out and the little string would poke out and people would tease me like, what the fuck is that? You have a tail and this and this and this. And I'm like, wait a minute, let me ask myself this question. What the fuck is this? Like here I am in science class. The world is billions of years old. How, how will praying to this thing do anything? I started having this crisis. Yeah. And that's when I was like, I was like in, the, in Nacho Libre, I was like, I don't believe in God. I believe in his science. <laughs> it started right around then. By the way, you know what's funny? I was going to tell you this, but I was having this thought about your daughter. Uh, you know how you were saying your ego was trying to control your daughter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? My, uh, when I was a kid, I used to have to answer the phone, hello, high number residents, this is Thomas speaking. And now I'm a person on the internet who's like, fuck all y'all bitches. You can <laughs> suck my dick. So 
Sometimes these have negative consequences, unforeseen karma, secondhand effects. Karma see. is a bitch. <laughs> you know, you cannot predict the causes and conditions that will lead to Remember, adult Tom Heinemann. Everybody on the phone was like, everybody was like, Tom Heinemann is such a polite young gentleman. He answers the phone so nice. Oh, blah, blah, blah. And now I'm like, yo, shut up, Aunt Becky, dumb bitch. And yet... <laughs> And yet, yet I've seen Tom turn on the charm. I've seen him turn on the charm, and people have told me that Tom Heineberg is a keeper. These like doctors and stuff. They're like, oh, you know, he's not a doctor, but you know, he's really got his p's and q's minded. Deep down, I am a still a good Southern boy. Good Southern boy. That's right. Good Southern boy. That's fascinating. Yeah, I don't know what to do with my daughter about the oppositional stuff because part of me does feel like you know, if someone doesn't really start to shape you, but it's her personality. She got it from me. You're gonna have to just let her oppose. You know, and, and it's going to hurt her at some point. Yeah. And that's when she'll start to shift. I mean, it's already hurting her. Right. But she'll have to, like, notice it and yeah. be like, ah, maybe I shouldn't do this, you yeah. know, when yeah. she has a little more insight. She's only, like, what, 12 right now? 11. Yeah. So she's going into that range where she's going to start to be more self-reflective. She's asking a lot about God and stuff, too, yeah. which is interesting. And be like, he's not real. Yeah. Well, she models on no, me, okay. and she's like, God's not a thing. And I'm like, well, listen, listen, listen. I don't, don't, don't. Don't listen to me. Yeah. You need to figure this out. I will send you some questions to think about. You know, I like the word God. Um, I think it's too important a word to let it be defined by the Jewish or Christian God. Because mm. I think I find the Jewish and the Christian God distasteful. And <laughs> there are many reasons why. Um, but especially if you read the Old Testament, he's sort of a petulant child. Well, he's a lot know? like I am when I'm having my hurricane. But yeah. that said, I do like the word God as the all. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Godhead, and, God, yeah, right, yeah. yeah the all. Like, yeah. And I think everybody, I think all religions are kind of pointing at that same thing. Well, they, they, they absolutely are. There was a fake tweet going around that was like Pope Francis that said like, he was like, yeah, like just be chill, bro. Like all religions are basically doing the same thing. And you know, it's, it's cool. Like you can be whatever. And we're all on the same page. And uh, people were passing this around like it was real on Facebook. I was like, you fucking idiots. I grew up Catholic. Yeah, they would never fucking say never, say never say this. Say that, they would yeah. never say this. You're an infidel. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) I'm reading um, Speaker for the Dead, which is the sequel to Ender's Game. And again, written by Orson Scott Card, who's an elder in the church and LDS church, Mormon church. It's really interesting how some of the spirituality infuses the book. And it's interesting, too, that my daughter, who's 11, I read it to her at night, and uh, the oppositional one. And Ender's Game was like a pretty masculine... Yeah. You know, they're in battle school, they're training. This one is the opposite. Like Ender grows up, they travel through, uh, by traveling at light speed, he's basically 3,000 years old. So humanity progresses 3,000 years. He's he's basically murdered an entire race of creatures that were sentient and didn't mean harm to humans, but he didn't know it. And so he lives with the guilt and the shame of destroying this, but at the same time has started his own religion where the goal is you speak for people who are dead. Is he on a ship? He's on a... Wait, I, it, I don't know where like, this... Is. is it like Sea Org? <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> he's, no, on, he's, he's on a spaceship, right? He's not on a ship. He's on a spaceship. He lands on a on a planet. But he was in the spaceship? He was in the spaceship. For, for 3,000 years? Yes. 3,000 light years? Yes. So it's a lot like Sea Org, which is the Mormon thing. I didn't know that. You didn't know that L. Ron Hubbard went to uh, went to sea, but that's, and that's why still. But that's not Mormon. Oh wait, that's no, Scientology. 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 Oh. Damn it! I got it screwed up. Okay, they're well, both now. equally stupid in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> 
I love how we went from respecting spirituality to you just like taking pot shots at different specific religious groups. <laughs> like, what are we going to do next? The Mennonites? God, their stupid seven-pointed star just looks so dumb. Hey, listen. Let me ask you this question. It's embarrassing that I messed up Mormons and Scientologists. Did, but you know though? what? They're both cults. <laughs> so um, let me ask you this question. Ben Shapiro has this saying that we are we are running on the fumes of Judeo-Christian values. And mm. so everybody who thinks they don't have morality because of religion, mm. they actually do have it because of religion, mm. because it's so deeply embedded in our society. Do you right. believe he's right? I think uh, our religious history has created a karmic causes and conditions that continue to affect our mor- moral compass currently. Yeah, and in fact, yeah. I don't think that we ever uh, will leave the Judeo-Christian value set behind that it will be incorporated yeah, into, whatever into whatever's new. next. Right, dataism or... You know, it's so tricky yeah. because, like, what do you do with your kids? You, you, have, you don't go to church, so you have no sense of, like, community, right? Correct. So it's like, you know, now that I have a kid, I, I think about this all the time, and I'm like, listen, church was total, I hated it, but... There was community. There was a community aspect to it. And uh, there's no... What am I going to go to? Like some millennial new wave church where they play like rock music and it's like... (laughs) Atheists have those. It's like, hey, here's a band that sounds like Mumford and Sons, but they're going (laughs) to sing songs about Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior anyway. (laughs) Take it away, guys. (laughs) I don't want to go there, Z. Uh, Yeah, I'm glad that you don't. Um, That would be... That would be the end of our relationship. But I also also don't want to go to Pedophile Isle, Isle, (laughs) where the Catholics live. Because it's terrible there. Pedo Isle? That's impressive. That's really impressive. Pedophile Isle. Ten priests, <laughs> ten children, one island. Oh, what could possibly go wrong? You know, um, one of the things that I've yet to uncover in therapy is that I, I can't remember a lot of being an altar boy. Oh, dear God. <laughs> oh, dear God. This is where R. Kelly stands up. He's like, I didn't do that shit. I didn't do that shit. Oh, by the way, for anybody who hasn't seen that R. Kelly clip with Gail King, it's amazing. We were talking about it right <laughs> oh, yeah, before the it's show. Amazing. He stands up and he's like giving this, you know, uh, this, oh, I'll see you. I'm fine for my life. And Gail King is just like, Robert, sit down. Sit down, Robert. You're oh acting like a child. And she she reduces <laughs> him with that word, Robert, so beautifully. Well, and as soon as he did that shit, I was like, oh, you did it. Yeah, you're guilty. You did it. Yeah, you are guilty yeah. as fuck. Because <laughs> an innocent person would be like, I don't. I don't understand yeah. what the hell is going on. Yeah. It's being famous, being rich. It's hard. Everyone attacks you. I get it. But now this is hurting me. So to my accusers, here's the thing. Yeah, I peed on you. <laughs> yeah, you were 15. Okay. But here's the thing. I did it out of love. People that are on you. people that are guilty, that are accused, are actually not, uh, they, they wouldn't cry. They would be yeah. angry. They'd be angry. Angry. Yeah. So anger is the response you should have. Yeah, no, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't be like, I can't even believe these people do this to me, man. And that mashup he sent me where they mashed up Trapped in the Closet with his performance. <laughs> so like, good. <laughs> Yo, I didn't do it, man. They're trying to kill me. <laughs> now I'm in the closet. Now I'm in the closet, too. <laughs> oh, my God, it's the closet. Then I pull out my gun. <laughs> I'm going to shoot this bitch. <laughs> I'm for any, for yeah. anyone who hasn't seen South Park's Trapped in the Closet or Weird the entire Al. trilogy of R. Kelly's actual Trapped actual in the Closet trap in the, or Weird Al's Trapped in the Drive Thru. Yeah, listen, R. Kelly's a pedophile and a rapist, but his music is kind of dank. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, I think we've done it, Tom Heineber. We yeah. pissed all the people That's off. That's right. Robert, mm-hmm. you're a national treasure. I'll fight for my life, man. <laughs> and Michael Jackson. But you definitely did it, and we should throw you in a cell. Bye-bye. What up? Bye-bye. Here's the thumbnail. Religion. Uh Uh Uh-huh.
Submines. Maybe. Science. Science.